All right, guys. Thanks for running. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Heiser. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, am I loud enough? Can you guys hear me? <laughs> We're good. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Um, we're in a sermon series called The Forgotten Torah, and you'll see there at the front of your bulletins, what we're doing is we're, um, the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, and we are studying the least known of those books, so Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, we kind of dove into this series by looking at the end of Exodus, where we see God coming and filling the tabernacle. He comes and moves into the neighborhood, right, in the midst of the people of Israel. God's presence itself is there among them. And Leviticus then asked the question, okay, if, if God himself is living in your midst, what does that mean for your life? How will that change how you live? And so we looked at um, three weeks ago, you know, we were in the sacrificial system. We were understanding what does it mean? How does sinful people come into the presence of a holy God? And then we looked at Nadab and Abihu. They failed to take the proper precautions as sinful people coming into the presence of a holy God. And God, uh, and God punishes them immediately. Then last week, Ronnie preached on the Day of Atonement. Uh, we saw the one day a year that God, cho- God set apart in which the, the sins of all Israel would be atoned for. And the, the priest would go into the very presence of God himself and make sacrifices for all the people. So we've covered a ton of ground in Leviticus already. We're, um, we didn't quite hit everything, but we're doing kind of the, um, the parts that stand out. Um, and we've seen a lot of themes, rituals, these sort of things. But if I was going to summarize Leviticus with one sentence... It would be a verse from chapter 19. He says in chapter, uh, Leviticus 19, chapter, or verse 2, this is what God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And my job today is to convince you that those words are still relevant today to you, to us, the church. And we know they are because in, you know, you saw in our New Testament reading, the Apostle Peter said something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, um, what does he say? As he who called you is holy, you also shall be holy, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter is quoting Leviticus. Now, the word holy, though, or holiness, um, it comes, it's a word that's not neutral, right? It comes with a lot of baggage in our world today. And and we want to kind of we want to kind of look at that baggage and see what the Bible has to say about it. We understand usually, modern people usually understand holiness in one of two ways. One is retreat, or the other is domination. So there are many Christians, very sincere Christians, who take the call to holiness very, very seriously, and they enter into obedience, and as they understand it, by withdrawing from the unholy, from retreating from that which is Unholy. They say things like, well, you know, we don't go to coffee shops, we go to Christian coffee shops. We don't go to fast food restaurants, we go to Chick-fil-A, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, we, go to, we don't go to the movies, we don't dance, we, you know, have CD burning parties or whatever it is. We re- retreat from society, we pull back. Their, their self-understanding is where God has called us to be holy, which he has, but the means by which we do that is by um, pulling back from the unholy. And of course, you know, it's not a very, maybe, maybe not an enjoyable life, but that's okay because 
you know, just got to make through 80 years and then we have eternity, it's going to be great, right? But on the other side, you have lots of people that see kind of the retreat mentality and they say, listen, I, I see that and it seems miserable and it seems ugly and I want nothing to do with that and why are you trying to make me live a miserable, ugly life like you? And they see holiness in terms of like, you know, you're trying to dominate me. You're trying to make me live this life that seems horrible, right? Shame, control, it's domination, and I don't want anything to do with that, right? And it's, they're disgusted by it. Now, Leviticus 19 doesn't actually think either of those definitions are sufficient because it doesn't want us to be disgusted. It doesn't want us to be resigned to this certain, you know, boring life or whatever. It wants us to see holiness as beautiful, that a holy life is a beautiful life. But if I'm going to make that case, we need to actually understand what it is, what is holiness. Now, we primarily think of holiness in terms of purity, sinlessness, but that's not necessarily how the Bible understands it. It understands it. When, when, we say whole, when you see the word holy in the Bible, what it's primarily referring to is a uniqueness, a distinctness, a, a something set apart by God. So when we say that God is holy, what we are not primarily saying is that he is pure, although he is, and that is part of his holiness. What we're saying is that he is unique, that there's no one like him, that he's fully distinct. And what God tells Israel is he says, you shall be unique as well. You shall be set apart. You shall be Um, you shall be um, distinct as well. No other nation will be like you. But it's not just for the purpose, like it's not an end in and of itself, it's a means. He sets them apart for something, right? And so if you remember back in in Genesis, you have Adam, Adam and Eve disobeying God. They're breaking that relationship with God. Right? That beautiful, intimate relationship they had with God. And God, in that moment, even as they are disobeying him, he promises them that he will rescue the situation. He will fix this. He will send a rescue team, right? And as you get to Genesis 12, you see that Abraham is that, and his descendants are that rescue team. He says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation so that you may be a blessing to the nations of the earth. There is a rescue team, and you are it. And that is begins. And then, of course, we are sitting at the, mount of, uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai in our passage today. The people of Israel have come out of Egypt. The chosen people of God, the rescue team, are sitting there. And he says, listen, you are to be a blessing to the nations. And the way you do that is be, you be holy, you be distinct, you be unique. He calls them to be a beautiful community, a beautiful community that drew the world in with its beauty. They were, um, they weren't, of course, supposed to be beautiful because they, you know, had beautiful green fields or because they were pretty people, but because they reflected the character of the God Himself. Because they lived in a right relationship with the Holy God, and the law is actually how God tells His people to be that beautiful community, saying this is how you do that. This is how you be that community that draws the nations to God, right? Their holiness is not an end. It is missional. It has the purpose of drawing the nations in. 
And so when God is calling his people to holiness, he's calling them to a purpose. He's calling them to a mission. And that's what God is calling his, his people to in this very chapter. It is not an arbitrary list of rules, although it might seem like one. What it's doing is it's, it's God calling them to a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a beautiful life. And so we're going to look at three aspects of Le- Le- Levitical understanding of holiness, the character of holiness, the reach of holiness, and the motivation for holiness, okay? But before we get any deeper, we need to read our text. So if you would look with me in your Bibles or in your bulletins, and if you're, if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence to God's Word, um, and hear now the reading of God's Word from Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now we're going to turn to uh, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we're going to turn to verse uh, 35. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. This is the word of the, God, of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. Please be seated. All right, so three aspects of holiness that we're looking at today. The, the character of holiness, the reach of holiness, and the motivation for holiness. So first, the character of holiness. I don't know um, if you've ever read the books um, or maybe seen the movies of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you guys certainly know the, the name, right? He is this uh, detective in, in England. He has this brilliant analytical mind. Um, he's incredibly observant. I remember I've, um, there are several occasions where he's able to tell the profession of someone who walks in his office by the, the, the dust patterns on their pants. I mean, he's, like, he's brilliant, right? He's a, he's a genius detective. He's able to solve crimes that no one else can. Um, but what's interesting about Sherlock Holmes is his author, the author, the guy who created him, um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was his name, um, and he actually solved some crimes in real life. You know, he, the police department called him, whatever, or maybe he saw an irregularity in a case that, and he went in, he saw, maybe saw some details that others didn't, and he was able to solve crimes in real life, right? 
Now, that's a little bit interesting, you know, but it's certainly not surprising because Sherlock Holmes, this character, actually reflects something of the author, right, of this creator. Like, Sherlock Holmes reflects him a little bit. Or how about this? Have you ever, have you ever been uh, or seen something that was so unique and so obviously creative that you just, like, you want to know who it is that designed it? I had this experience. I, in, in, um, in college, I was studying Spanish. I, um, I studied Spanish in Spain for a semester, and I went to Barcelona. The, there's a church there called the Sagrada Familia. And the, their church is all over Spain. I mean, it's, they're everywhere, and most of them are beautiful. It's wonderful. But there is no church like this one. I mean, it is absolutely fully unique. The outside looks kind of like a sandcastle. I don't know. But the inside is all sharp angles and massive columns. And it is, it, it is a fully unique church. There is nothing on earth like this thing. And it was designed by this architect named, and I don't know, I don't know how to say his name, Antoni Gaudi. Gaudi? I know that's how you say his last name, Gaudi. And, um, and you're sitting there and you say, how in the world could you create something that is so fully unique and so fully original? Who is this man? Right? And then even in that question, you're implicit, you know that this church is a reflection of the architect, right? Well, Leviticus 19, and and in fact, all of the law is similar. It actually reflects its author, its creator. It reflects the character of God himself. And that's exactly what God is saying there in verse 2. He says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We do these things because these are the kind of things that God does. The character of holiness is the character of God himself. And so we're not supposed to read these laws as just like a checklist of things we need to do. We actually see them as a window into God's character, into God himself. Like these are the kind of things that God does. So I've been saying that like Israel was supposed to be this beautiful community and we're going to actually, I'm going to make my case now, right? This is the kind of society that everyone wants to live in. It sounds uh, wonderful, and it's wonderful because it's actually governed by God and what he is like. So look at verses 9 and 10 there. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You, uh, you do the same thing for your vineyard, right? And you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I am the Lord. The Israelites were farmers, right? And God is telling them that when they harvest their fields, they don't get it all, right? They leave a little bit on the edges. They don't clean up too well. And why? Well, so that the poor who don't have fields can come and gather and they can eat and not starve. So what kind of God cares about a law like this? Who is this God? It's not a dog-eat-dog world, right? It's a God who cares about the well-being of the poor. It's a God who will go out of his way to help the vulnerable. This is who God is. Therefore, you do something, you do the same things, right? You do the things that God does. The refrain, which we saw, see over and over again, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord. It's not God telling them, hey, listen, I'm the boss, just do it. 
It's God saying, listen, these are the things that I do, and therefore you do something similar. You do the same things. You be like me. Look at verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Oh my goodness, don't we just wish that we could trust people (laughs) in this world today? I mean, Facebook, fake news, politicians, like, you can't trust anyone anymore, and it's gross. It's like slimy. We hate it. It's horrible. But that's not God. God is trustworthy. He never lies. And a dishonest people cannot reflect a trustworthy and honest God, right? Look at verse 14. This is a really interesting one. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You guys know in in westerns, like cowboys and six shooters and all that, one of the worst things you could possibly do is shoot someone in the back, right? It's cowardly. It's cruel. It makes you just the most despicable human in the, you know, in the, the ranch or whatever. We hate it. When people hurt defenseless people, we hate it. And so what does God say? Guess what? He hates it too. Don't insult someone who can't hear you. Don't trip someone who's blind. Who's God? God is kind. He is gentle. He fights for the defenseless. This is who God is. Israel society was supposed to be that kind of society. It's not cruel. It's not cowardly. Because God is not those things. We could go on. You know, verse 15 and 16 speak of God's justice, just waits. It's, you're, you don't show favoritism either positively or negatively, for the poor or the rich. God's just. God is perfectly just. In verses 17 and 18, you see it says, don't bear a grudge. He's, it's, it's showing us that God himself is willing to forgive. He is willing. He loves his people. He cares for them. These are the kinds of things that God does. This is the kind of society that we all want, that we all long for, a just, compassionate, honest Loving, hospitable, willing to overlook wrongs, society. You see, holiness is not about domination. All these things, what do they do? Well, they empower people. Like, they don't, tear, they don't press people, they empower them. They, don't, they give dignity, they don't strip it away. They're compassionate, not cruel. They're loving because God is loving. That is the kind of society that Israel was called to be. You see, the character of holiness is the very character of God himself. That's who he's calling us to be. Well, what about the reach of holiness? What, what areas of our lives does it impact? Um, this week I got exposed, thanks Ronnie, um, to one of the great Canadian pop artists of all time, Alanis Morissette. Um, I was born in the 90s. I think like about, you know, 75% of the people here, I, I kind of missed Alanis Morissette. Um, but she, her, most favorite, her most famous song is called Ironic. And in Ironic, she sings this line that became really famous. And this is it. She says, It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is is a knife. And I think that that kind of describes a lot of people's experiences in church. Like, man, church is great. It gives me so many spoons. I have a room full of spoons thanks to church, but then I go into my real life and I got nothing but spoons when I need a knife. Right? My faith says nothing about my real life. 
It's not helpful. (laughs) But that is not how Leviticus conceives of our faith in general or holiness in particular. One of the problems with the kind of retreat motif is that it understands holiness right, as withdrawal from society, whereas Leviticus 19 sees, understands holiness as it lived out in society. You see that? Yes, God calls us to be distinct, to be set apart, to be unique, but not to retreat or to dominate, but to engage. And this is what I mean. Look at all the areas of life that are the stages on which holiness is played out. Verses 9 and 10, concern for the poor. Holiness is a social matter. Verses 17 and 18, love and forgiveness, not bearing a grudge, forgiving. Holiness is a relational matter. Verses uh, 15 and 16, you see the just way, you know, it, holiness is a legal matter. We didn't read this, but 23 through 25 speaks of how you farm in a holy way, right? Holiness is an ecological matter. 35 through 37, you see, um, you know, how do, how do you conduct holy trade? Holiness is an economic matter, right? Holiness encompasses every single area of your life. It is a misconception to think that you are holy when you read your Bible and when you pray, but not when you mow your lawn, you raise your kids, you interact with your spouse, you go to work. These are the stages upon which holiness is realized, is lived out. What God is doing is he's teaching us to be like him, to relate to the world in the way that he does. All of it not just, you know, our, our, um, our practices of piety. Um, and, uh, yeah. So remember what we said earlier, that holiness is missional. That means that it's to be loved, lived out in the world, to be a true reflection of the character of God. You cannot be holy as God is holy in a bubble. You cannot do it. My... my um, my professor, Dr. J. Scholar, he, he um, would say this, holiness becomes real as we live out God's love to others. We are not holy when we retreat from the very relationships that we are called out to live out the character, in which we are called to live out the character of God. Okay, let me say that again. We are not holy when we retreat from the very relationships in which we are called to live out the character of God. Holiness, it's kind of like love in that it is only meaningful when it has a recipient. It's missional, it's directional, it engages, set apart, yes, different, yes, but why? For it to be different for the purpose of engaging the world in a unique and holy and beautiful way. That is why we are called to be holy. Now, one of the greatest ways that we can live out holy lives is by having holy marriages. In a world that is increasingly disillusioned with the institution of marriage, we can show the beauty of God to our world and to our children by having holy marriages. That doesn't mean sinless marriages, right? It means that they're marriages in which the character of God is reflected 
right? And if we are able to, if we can learn to mirror the character of God, we will not only impact our children, we will be, we'll be able to mirror the character of God to those outside of our marriage, right? Not just our spouses. People will see and say, wait a minute, who is this God? Listen, how about this? Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sins of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What if that was what defined our marriages? No grudges, no vengeance. Uh, guys, let's be honest. I know I'm pretty bad at that. Um, love, if I loved Cecilia as myself, that's, that's serious. That's learning to, to, that's learning to have a marriage, learning to relate to Cecilia the way that God relates to me or relates to her or relates to us. You see, Christians, we can never be satisfied with the status quo. We always need to be asking, how is it that God relates to this? How does God relate to us? How, what would this thing look if it, was, if it related to God properly? And as we do that, we're, going to pursue, we're pursuing holiness in our lives. Okay, so the character of God is nothing le- or sorry, the character of holiness is nothing less than the character of God himself. These are the sorts of things that God does. So, second, and secondly, the reach of holiness is every single area of life, right? Holiness is lived out in relationships with others and with all of creation. And third, and we're going to close with this, what is our motivation for holiness? Where do we find the desire to reflect God on this earth? Look with me down again at verses 35 and 37. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity, You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Those words right there in the middle, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, are particularly important. You know, Ronnie and I have said this before, that the, the greatest salvific act in the Old Testament is Israel's redemption from Egypt. God saved his people from their slavery in Egypt. And so you have Israel sitting here at Mount Sinai. They've just come out of slavery. They've just passed through the Red Sea. God has redeemed them and saved them. And in that context, he gives them the law. Right? All of these commands come in the context of accomplished salvation, finished salvation. God never says, if you guys would just be like me, you can be my people. No, he always says to his people, you are mine, now be like me. Okay? So God gave Israel the law so they could know who he is and so they could live in the world the way that he wants them to, the way that he calls them to. The law actually taught them what God was like. Now, over a thousand years later, this is what Jesus would say. um, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The law taught Israel who God was, what he cared about, how he acted. But Jesus is God himself. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to know who God is, what he cares about, how he acts, look at me. 
You don't have to try, you know, you're not trying to decipher it from the laws. We have a person in bodily form living out who God himself is. And what did that God do? Well, he died on the cross for his people. And he rose again from the dead at the third day. What kind of God is that? It is a God who will stop at nothing to know his people and to be known by them. It is a God who can defeat evil. He can actually defeat evil and death itself. In our world and in our hearts, it is a promise of sanctification, a promise that he can and will make us holy. It is a God who keeps all his promises to Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, to David, Jeremiah, Moses, Noah, Adam, every promise he has ever made. He will follow through. He is faithful. That is the kind of God that we see in Jesus Christ. A God who is forgiving and merciful, yet just a God who loves like no one else. That is the God that we serve and who calls us to be like him. He calls us in light of what he's done to be a holy people, a beautiful community. We, the church today, are called to be a holy people, a beautiful community. Not to retreat, not to dominate, but to engage, bringing the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done to a watching world. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we recognize the inadequacy to the task, our inadequacy to the task, God, but you have made all things possible in Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit that we might be changed, that we might be like you. Um, In your name we pray, amen.